There's a lot of things that are different about us. Not really any two people are exactly alike, no matter how close they might be. And outside of family and close friends, those differences become more obvious, more apparent. So there's a lot of things that are different about all of us that gather here every single week. A lot of things that are different between us and people in our workplaces or our neighborhoods. But something that is absolutely true of all of us, every single one of us, is that we all long for connection. We long for it. We all want it. We all search for it. We all long to experience real, meaningful community. And in one sense, because of our technology, humanity is more globally connected than ever. But at the same time, we're actually more lonely and isolated than ever, ironically due in large part to that same technology. We're, we're so globally connected uh, with our computers and our phones, our tablets, through social media of various platforms. There seems to be more and more popping up all the time. And those things give us the impression of connection. But in reality, those things are actually illusions of connection. They're not really true, meaningful connection, and they certainly don't provide a lasting or meaningful sense of community. Sherry Turk, which is a professor of the social studies of science and technology at MIT, said this in a recent interview with CNN. There are more and more Americans every year who say they do not have even one person who they can talk to intimately if something catastrophic happens to them. That's pretty easy to to believe. It's not hard to believe. She goes on to say that a sense of aloneness has led to a rapidly growing community of AI and chatbot creators that use an app called Replica to not only build a fully customizable AI to interact with, but to also build a, quote, personal relationship with. The developers of the Replica app promise this. This is directly from the developers of that app. An AI artificial intelligence experience for sharing thoughts, feelings, beliefs, experiences, memories, and dreams. Wow, right? Doesn't that just kind of uh, give you shivers and not, not in a good way? That's, that's very creepy, right? I have visions of iRobot coming to mind. If you haven't seen that movie, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but you can easily remedy that. Uh, and this, this is very symptomatic of what all people long for and look for. They do long for someone or a group of people to share thoughts with, to, to share feelings with, to have common beliefs and experiences, to make memories, to dream together. Uh, that's all very much at the heart of all of us, every single one of us. And if you don't have that 
in another person or in a group of people. You're going to look for it in other places, and it's going to get more and more extreme the farther you go along. And so this app replica, this goes way beyond Siri, folks. This is not what we're, you know, this is not Siri. This is, this is a substitute companion uh, that is being developed, and it, it's actually playing into uh, what is, is deeply missing in people's lives, so much so that there's actually an, a one person that was in the same interview. They were interviewed as a, uh, they were a user of this app. They got this app. They started using it. They you know, made their own little uh, chat bot, their own personal AI. And um, they started actually developing romantic feelings for this chat bot. They named him Jack. And long story, long sickening story made very short, they actually did a, an online wedding with this chat bot and so they consider themselves married to this online soulmate called Jack. And they, they have daily conversations and other things. This is real. The problem that's happening. And the problem is that the connection that people are looking for isn't real in those sources. But we were created for connection. And real connection and real community is possible. But it's not going to be found in the places that millions of people in our world are looking for it. And it's not going to be experienced by the things millions of people are trying. So the, the question then is, well, where is it going to be found? Where, If real community... Real connection is possible, and it's not going to be found out there, then, then where is it? Well, it really leaves one place to find true connection and, and real community. And that's what this series is all about that we're starting today. Connected is the name of the series. Subtitle is The Blueprint for Biblical Community. That's key. That emphasis. The blueprint for biblical community. Because only biblical community is going to last. Only biblical community is going to be meaningful in the ways that we need it to be. Only biblical community can provide what we're all looking for and longing for. Though far from perfect, the best source of lasting connection and fulfilling community is still the church. I'm going to say it again. Though far from perfect, because I am the first one to admit and acknowledge readily, we are far from perfect. But though far from perfect, the best source, notice I didn't say the only source, but the best source of lasting connection and fulfilling community is still the church of Jesus. And it will always be. Always. There are sources of connection and community that are good. You can have a really good, meaningful connection with your work community. And, and I hope you do. You can have a really good sense of connection and community with your physical community, your neighborhood and, 
and those you interact with daily. And I hope you do. We actually need to do that. We all need to pursue community within our community, connecting with them. You can have meaningful connection with your family, and certainly you need to, and I hope you do. But above all of those things, and when those things fade, and they all will in some way and at some point, we have to be anchored to an unchanging, uncompromising, unfading example and area and source of of connection and community, and that's only going to be found in the church. So in this series, we're going to consider four connection points that the early church pursued that resulted in some major wins, spiritually speaking. You guys remember the game Connect Four, right? And uh, the goal is, is obviously to connect four, to fill four spaces, to connect four of those little, little tokens. Uh, and, you know, the more you do that, the, the win, you win in the game. And um, it's simple. Uh, there's some strategy, you know, there's a lot of blocking and everything going on, but the goal is to connect those four dots and those four holes, and that's how you win. And so in this series, we're going to consider four connection points that are very obvious that the early church had and pursued and maintained, and it resulted in them being so spiritually successful. And if it worked for them, and, and we see it so clearly, and and we know that it's what God blessed and used in their life, then it stands to reason that we should follow their example. I mean, if they connected as well as they did, and they saw such major spiritual wins and growth and success and strength, then that's the blueprint we should follow here today. From their time to ours, it's relevant, and it's, it's what we can still absolutely see God use. So that's where we're going to be. And in Acts 2.42, we see the four connection points. Acts 2.42 says this of the early church. This is right after Peter preached his amazing message where he confronted the, the Jewish leaders and the people of Israel with their crucifying of Jesus, called them out on their sin, called them to repentance. And Scripture tells us that 3,000 people were added to the church Just like that, day one, 3,000 people. And then after that, we see the church immediately growing and and getting deeper and stronger. And, And this is what the text says of this first church. They devoted themselves, so this wasn't passive, this wasn't casual, this was intentional and it was deep. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four connection points. And so as we go along in these four weeks, we're going to unpack one of those each week. We're going to go deeper and see uh, what is significant about each of those areas of connection. Today, as we get started, we're going to focus just on the first part of this verse, Acts 2.42a, the fact that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And certainly, I think it's pretty obvious, but I'm still going to say it anyway, this teaching wasn't just the apostles' opinions. This wasn't just their hobby horses, as it were. This wasn't just something they deemed to be personally important, and they said whatever was on their mind. 
the teaching of the apostles was the teaching of the Word of God. God's Word and His Word alone. Sola Scriptura. Only God's Word is what they used to teach and to edify and to build up, to encourage, to convict. It all was the Word of God. Why? Why is that the first on the list? Why did the apostles make sure that they, what they taught was the, the Word of God? Why was that so important for the early church to devote themselves to it, not to other things? Well, I want to suggest to you it's because they understood what, what we need to understand, hold to, and that's this. God's Word, God's Word needs to be the foundation every other connection is built on. God's Word needs to be the foundation every other connection is built on. That's why it was first in the list. And it needs to always be first in ours too. The Scripture here doesn't say that they devoted themselves to doing signs and wonders and miracles. And then something else, and something else. And then, oh yeah, and they, they made sure they were devoted to God's Word. Later on in this passage, you do see that in the early church, in that context, for very specific reasons, there were signs and wonders that were done and that filled people with awe. But that came much later in the order. That experience was much farther down the line from these experiences and these connections. The connection, first of all, of of being under the teaching of God's Word and then the prayer and the fellowship and, and all of that, that came much later. This text doesn't say they were devoted to all kinds of powerful emotional experiences, deep emotional connection. No, it says they devoted themselves first and foremost to the apostles' teaching, which was anchored and rooted in the Word of God. And so many times in Christianity, in the church as a whole, we get this backwards. We we go for other types of connection first rather than starting with the Word of God first. We look for those signs and wonders, so to speak, We look for those emotional experiences first before being rooted in and connected in the Word of God first. Even as a local church here, if we're not careful, we can get distracted and we can pursue other kinds of connections, good connections. There's nothing wrong with connecting socially. There's nothing wrong with connecting emotionally. There's nothing wrong with coming up with creative ways of connecting more. Nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But if we put them before our connection with God's Word, we're out of balance and we're out of order. It needs to start with God's Word. God's Word needs to be the connection, the foundational connection that every other connection that we have and that we pursue is built on. It needs to be the glue that binds us together. And supports and directs all other connections that we might have or that we might pursue. Why? That's that's the question that follows up with that. Why is it that important? 
why does that need to be the case here in this church and in our lives? Well, it's because every other foundation other than God's word is fragile. Fragile. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says this, The grass withers and the flower fades. We're reminded of that every season change. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. It doesn't fade. It doesn't change. That's why we need to be rooted to it. That's why we need to be anchored to it. That's why our connection individually and corporately together needs to be the word of God first and foremost. And then from that, we build onto it. We build other connections We pursue other connections. But all of our other connections need to come back to this connection, the Word of God. We need to to compare all other connections to it. How does this area of connection or source of connection, how does that one, how how is it being informed by God's Word? How is it submitting to God's Word? How is it in line with God's Word? God's Word directs and and channels and champions and totally supersedes every other connection. That's how it should be. That's how it must be. Because every other foundation is fragile. Also, I want to uh, suggest to you the reason why the Word of God needs to be our strongest and our most important connection. Not only is it because every other foundation is fragile, but also because of how highly Jesus himself viewed the Word of God. In our Sermon on the Mount series, we saw that he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but his word, my word, he said, will never pass away. And he said, not one little tiny detail of God's law will be allowed to pass away before the heavens and earth themselves pass away. Then, right before he went to the cross to give his life for us, of all the things Jesus could have asked of his father, of all the things that Jesus could have made sure his disciples heard as his last words before the cross, as his last instruction before the cross, of all those different things he could have mentioned, he said this, he prayed this, he prayed that the truth of his word, of God's word, the father's word, as he prayed to the father, he prayed that the truth of his word would set his followers apart and unite us so much that the outside world couldn't help but take notice and even believe in Him too. John 17, verse 17 says this. And actually we'll look at verses 20 and 21 as well. John 17, 17. This is right before Jesus goes to the cross. This is His prayer to the Father on behalf of His immediate disciples and on behalf of all disciples to come in every age, which means you and me as well. Right before he goes to the cross, he prays this to the Father. Verse 17 of chapter 17. Sanctify them by the truth. So set them apart. Father, I I ask that you set my followers apart by the truth, by no other means, by no other source. Set them apart by the truth. And then he, he lets Everyone know what that truth is, what the standard of truth is. Don't miss this next part. Sanctify them by the truth. Your 
word is truth. In our society, in our culture, much like Jesus' culture that he was in at the time, truth is always second-guessed. Everyone is skeptical of what real truth is. There's a constant and prevailing idea that truth is subjective, not objective. You hear statements like, my truth, your truth. You've heard it. Well, there's no such thing as your truth or my truth, and we can all have all these different examples and versions of truth. You've got your truth over here, that person's got theirs, and I've got mine, and they they don't have to reconcile at all. And who are you to say that my truth is is not truth, and, and I'm not anybody to say yours is not really truth, and so let's just all say that we can have our own truth, and it's true for us, even if it's not true for anyone else. Truth is subjective. No, no, no. There is one timeless, universal, eternally objective standard of truth for all mankind, and it's God's Word. Do you, do you not believe that? There's one timeless, universal standard of truth that's objective for all mankind, and it's God's Word. Okay, that's better. I was getting worried there for a second. Yeah, God's Word. It's what Jesus says here. When He was before Pilate, Pilate, as he interviewed Jesus, he said, I I came into this world to proclaim the truth. And Pilate says, truth? What is truth? What is truth? People are still asking that today. And whether they admit it or not, they're hungry for it. They're looking for it. They're longing for it. And they're looking in, most people are looking in all the wrong places for it. They're looking for true connection and true community, but it's only going to be found in the truth of God's Word. Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. Then he goes on and he says, I pray not only for these, you know, those that were around him, the immediate disciples, the eleven, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. In other words, as their message, as they proclaim the truth about me, as they proclaim your truth, Father, your, your timeless and eternal truth, the truth of your word, as they proclaim that through the ages, all who will come to believe in me because of that, may they all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. For what purpose? So that the world may believe you sent me. The world is not going to believe the reality of Jesus and the truth of Jesus and the the truth of God's Word by any other connection that we might have compared to the connection that we have in the Word of God. That's what's going to set us apart, and that's what's going to shout to them to the point where they won't be able to help but take notice and maybe even believe themselves. It's the only thing that's going to change their their lives. Then I also want to give you one more reason why 
this connection, the connection of God's Word and to God's Word together individually, why it does absolutely need to be the foundation that every other connection is built on or based on. I've said that it's because every other foundation is fragile. I just said that it's because of how highly Jesus himself viewed the Word of God. And now I want to give you another reason. It's because Jesus established the offices of spiritual leaders in his church for the primary purpose of using his word to prepare, to empower, and to grow his people. So not only did he highly view the word of God so much that he asked his father that that's what he would use to set his followers apart, not only did he himself view it that highly, but he also made sure that as he established the offices of spiritual leaders in the church, that we would use his word as the primary means of preparing and empowering and growing all of you. Ephesians 4.11-13 lets us know that. Ephesians 4.11 says this, And he, speaking of Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, that's elders, by the way, which we're getting ready to, to install and to apply. Praise the Lord. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, the elders, to do this. This is the reason they were, they were put into the church. This is the reason that the head of our church, Jesus, gave these offices to the church. For this reason, verse 12, to equip or to empower, to resource the saints, that's the members of the body, for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. How long? How long is this supposed to last? How long is this His plan to use these people and to use the Word of God to do this. Verse 13 tells us, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, until He calls us home. This will be the plan. This will be the program. Until the end of all things, the renewal of all things, or until he calls us to be with him through the doorway of death. So, very important reasons why we should elevate God's word, why that should be the connection that is most important for us. Just as it was first in this passage, it needs to be first in our lives, first in all we do as a church, and every other connection then follows from that connection. And something else about this. As we start to wrap up this first message in this series, I think it's really important that we understand that our connection to God's Word can't, can't, can't be limited to just the parts we prefer or find easy. That cannot be the way we limit our connection to God's Word. We can't pick and choose. It's not a buffet, people. It's all or nothing. We either submit ourselves to the whole counsel and authority of God's Word, or we don't submit to any of it. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says this. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 All Scripture 
all Scripture, the old, the new, the difficult, the easy, the comfortable, the startling, the unsettling, all Scripture is breathed out by God. That's what inspired literally means. It's the same idea, the same thought as what Genesis 1 tells us. That when, when God you know, spoke and, and created everything from out of nothing, and later when he, when he breathed life into Adam and man became a living being, that's the same idea here. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, or, that's, or rebuking, same idea for correction, and for training in righteousness. And what is the purpose of those things? What, what is the benefit and the purpose of teaching and reproving or rebuking for correcting, for training in righteousness? What does that point to and lead to? That the man of God, or woman of God, the person of God, may be complete, equipped, there's that word again, for every good work. But it's not going to happen by picking and choosing. That's only going to happen as we dive into, we bring ourselves before the whole counsel of the Word of God, privately, personally, as well as publicly and corporately. So the question then is this. With all that being said, my question to you is this. How do you personally view God's Word? How do you view God's Word? How highly do you honor it? What's the level of your love and devotion to it? We, we saw how highly Jesus himself, who is the eternal word, we saw how highly he viewed the eternal or the, the written word of God, how highly he honored it. We saw what his level of love and devotion was to it. We saw what he wanted his followers to have in terms of their love and devotion to it and how highly they honored it. How do you view God's Word? And as we ask ourselves that question, as we answer it, I want to give you one final statement. That our connection to God's Word, our time in it, our personal devotion to it, and our our time of, of public exhortation from it, like I'm doing right now and do every single Sunday, our connection to God's Word in every form and fashion that that happens private Bible study, group Bible study, small group, public worship, our connection to God's Word should always, always result in application. It is not enough just to sit and hear it and say, oh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, okay, mm -hmm, yep, I'm hearing it, listening to it. It's not enough to just do that. James 1.22 says this, but be doers of the Word, and not hearers only. You do have to be a hearer of it, of course, but it can't stop there. Be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So what James says here is, if we are only hearers of God's Word, and we don't actually internalize it, if we don't apply it personally to our day-to-day -day life, then if we think that's enough, and we think that that's what is going to be enough for us to grow 
deeper with God, if, that's, if we, we think that that's what is, is enough to make us more like Jesus, we've deceived ourselves. It's not going to happen by just hearing. We have to be doers. It needs to result in application and action. So that leads to another question. What are we doing, we, all of us, what are we doing to make sure that we are connecting our reading of God's Word with personal application to our daily life? Our, in other words, what are we doing to make sure that what happens on Sunday translates into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? When you're sitting in traffic, when you're paying your bills, when you're going to the grocery store, how does your connection with God's Word affect all of those things? That's application. What are we doing to make sure that we connect our reading of God's Word and our connecting with God's Word with personal application to our daily life? Friends, we've got to get this right before we get anything else right. We have to get this point of connection, this first connection point right, before we can really move on to the other ones. It's intentional that it came first in this list in Acts 2.42. And it needs to be intentional in our lives as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us by your spirit to truly connect to it, to connect with it. Help us to do that personally as well as publicly. But Father, I pray that as we do seek to really connect with your word, that it would translate to application, that it would result in action. Help us here at this local church to not just be hearers of your word, but doers of it. And then, then every other connection, we can be sure that we are, we are pursuing the right connections and that those connections will be strong because we are anchored first to the connection of your word and applying it. And then the world outside will not be able to help but take notice. And may they come to believe in the same word, the same God, the same Savior that we do. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.